0: Is your work team okay or struggling? Do you have what it takes to look after people's health and well-being so they're able to get the job done? I'm Nigel Cassidy and this is the CIPD Podcast. Well, back in the day in PC world, that's pre-coronavirus, people used to say, if you're not in the room, you're not in the know. Well, now nobody's in the room. They're on Zoom. And it's left people managers with a new skills gap. They freely admitted to the CIPD that they lacked the confidence and know-how to spot signs of physical and mental ill health in their now far-flung teams. Well, as we speak, we're still in lockdown. Most of us are stressed to some degree. There's fear of infection, of isolation. There's fear of redundancy and major financial worries. And all too soon, those personal and family worries can tip over into mental health issues. Let's face it, it could be your organisation's insensitive or disorganised management which is to blame. So here with top tips on how to monitor and aid your team's well-being, all joining me online from who knows where, we have Vandria Winfield, UK HR Director at Microsoft. Hello.
1: Hiya.
0: Next, we have a consultant occupational and forensic psychiatrist, Professor Neil Greenberg, a Professor of Defence Mental Health at King's College, who served in the United Kingdom Armed Forces for more than 23 years and also runs the March on Stress consultancy. Hello. Hello. And from the home team, Rachel Sarf, the CIPD's Senior Employee Relations Advisor. Rachel's a qualified HR practitioner with a Masters who's led a range of policy and research studies about health and well-being at work. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Now, in one sense, I suppose, let's start with you, Rachel. This is nothing new. I mean, before the pandemic, mental ill health was the number one cause of long-term sickness and absence among UK workers. So... Start us off, if you will, with a sense of the new difficulties that managers are now facing in looking after their people, particularly in the face of lockdown.
2: Well, yes, exactly. We knew mental ill health was a serious issue in workplaces. And this pandemic has brought the risk of further psychological and wellness to the fore, as well as the physical risk. I think for a start, the situation is very uncertain. There's a lot of fear and anxiety and that's very uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of people. And also, I think a lot of people are in uh, very challenging personal situations, perhaps if they're caring for somebody who's vulnerable, as well as fears of their own around the pandemic, but also if they're juggling childcare at a time when they're working, some people have been furloughed, some people have lost their income, or a partner has, so there's worries about financial well-being, even bereavement in some situations, so all those pressures that people would feel before the pandemic have been exacerbated now. I don't think there's anybody that isn't having some kind of challenging experience.
0: Andrea, in the face of all this, I mean, I guess we can take it as a given that Microsoft has the technology to facilitate its workers at home. But what have been your people priorities since the lockdown?
1: Well, I mean, I I think the circumstances have completely changed people priorities. I guess there are some things that just become more important than ever uh, and all we'll will stay the same. So, you know, taking a values-led approach to how we take care of our employees is just super important. And people management and leadership has just never been more critical. At Microsoft, we've taken a real a family-oriented approach to this. So we know that the number one priority for all of our employees is to put themselves and their family and their health first, And so everything that we're doing is trying to put that at the centre and at the start of the list of the things that, you know, we're concentrating on and working towards. We are, as you say, we've always mobilised our employees to be able to work virtually and in a mobile cloud first world. And so, but working from home permanently under the circumstances that we find ourselves in where people aren't just working from home. I think it's quite difficult these days to decide whether or not you're working from home or sleeping from the office. Um, and so preparing people to for successful homeworking is a, is a real priority for us.
0: But you do a lot of practical stuff, don't you, with access to counsellors, GPs, sending around chairs and workstations. That's obviously because you're a large organisation, but all this kind of stuff's a lot harder if you don't have the resources that you have.
1: Oh, well, it, you're right. We do have deep pockets and that has enabled us to be able to courier people's monitors and, and chairs to their home addresses. But part of this is also just being able to give very practical advice for people. It doesn't cost anything to be able to give people tips on their how to maintain their well being or tips for how to take care of your mental health to guide and coach managers on checking in on their teams to hold and honour commitments to keep staying in touch all of these things are, you know free don't cost money but it it's about where you focus leadership attention I think.
0: Okay, so Neil Greenberg, there's clearly a kind of gold standard of best practice here. We've heard some of uh, the ideas already, but um, there is a messy reality for people about the day to day, isn't there? It has a lot to do with employers who may be a bit negative or just plain disorganised, just kind of dumping work on people. I just wonder what sort of things you've observed since we all started uh, hunkering down and uh, those of us who can still working from home.
3: I think um, from my kind of point of view as a sort of evidence-based scientist, but also a, a, a psychiatrist, what I've noticed is that um, a lot of organisations seem to place a heavy reliance on sort of psychological uh, counsellors or therapists as being available and in the background to support staff. And clearly for, for a an important minority, that, that's really important. But I think just as Andrea said, actually all the evidence that we have from our studies of organisations shows that the most important thing that organisations can do is to make sure that junior supervisors, so the junior managers, really are able to uh, both understand what the impact of the current situation is on their staff, take account of that. And then most importantly, they need to have the confidence to have what we call a psychologically savvy, supportive conversation. So we know that actually good managers tend to be good managers from a mental health viewpoint, because they're able to get someone to open up just a little bit about what is really going on with them. And in most sort of ordinary workplace conversations, a manager might say, how are you doing? And the person says, oh, I'm fine. And then the assumption is that they're okay, when of when course fine can mean absolutely anything and, and it isn't really a mental health check. So we've been placing a lot of emphasis, uh, particularly in the healthcare sector, but also other organisations we're supporting in trying to make sure that those junior managers who don't really feel confident in talking about mental health actually can have those supportive conversations. Because once you do that, all the evidence is that it has a dramatically positive, protective effect on staff's mental health.
0: So, Rachel Suff, it's quite difficult, isn't it, to see these small cues and hints, perhaps, that something isn't right uh, and quite hard to identify just in a work video meeting.
2: Yes, it can be. And I I think uh, what Neil said is so important because we know at the CIPD from our research that line managers dealing with a lot of expectation on them and this was before the pandemic to look after people's health and well-being and they will be the first port to call very often if people are worried but also people might not feel able to talk about their health if they're not feeling very good and seek that help And without that face-to-face interaction where you can pick up on facial expressions, body language and so on, it can be even more difficult. So really important that the people profession support line managers. And yes, it's about having that one-to-one conversation. I think if line managers feel able to open up themselves about how they feel, show a little bit of vulnerability, then I think... That can help as well. So I think this kind of interaction in terms of video conferencing is important, but also a phone call. I think because we are seeing a lot of video interaction, some people can feel a bit overwhelmed by that as well. So I think it's just being able to have that really empathetic conversation, build up the trust there with your team and have regular catch-ups where you ask open questions to
1: feel your way into that conversation in terms of how they're feeling yeah absolutely I couldn't agree more I mean, we've been doing a lot with managers to to really help them with those dialogues by starting every one-to-one or every team meeting with the question what am I feeling asking people to name those feelings or in one or two words asking people the question what's it distracting you right now And I think it's really important, you know, for us to help our line managers set an expectation that it's perfectly normal and really expected that most things are going to be harder in times of crisis and uncertainty. I think a false belief that we can do the work that we were doing previously. And I think so. part of it is about setting the scene, having those check-ins, having those check-outs, asking people what's on their mind and digging deeper than the fine. Um, the other part, obviously, quite practically, is is actually about the workload that you're asking people to expect to take on. There's a lot that everybody is carrying and we're working in circumstances that, that make normality, this kind of concept of new normal is a bit ironic, really, because there's nothing normal about what's going on right now. So, managers actually working with people to on priorities to talk a bit more about what must continue you know what's important to continue but could be done at a slower pace and what work is just not relevant or just can't be done in the current circumstances so for those employers that are able to keep people at work I think that focus on workload and priorities is also critical in helping people balance home and work.
0: I think what you're saying there about prioritising is excellent. But I just want to pick up with Neil Greenberg this question of managers uh, being empathetic. I mean, most of us are not. Well, we're not trained social workers. It can be quite intrusive, can't it? Having a, a clumsy manager making small talk on office video. I mean, we all, in the normal course of work, we have different aspects to our lives, don't we? We have multiple roles. And some of us don't even want to share our taste in curtains when we're on the screen, let alone bear our personal situation. You're
3: absolutely right that there isn't a one-size-fits-all model for how people get support. And indeed, there's people out there who just don't really access support and they seem to go about their lives quite happily doing so. And if you start to try and force those people to have you know deep and meaningful conversations, you're not going to get a good response. But the overwhelming evidence generally from, from various sources is that social support and social networks are actually very psychologically sustaining. And it's a very cheesy phrase, but I really do believe it in organizations that often resilience doesn't lie in individuals. It lies between them. And so there's been a sort of an explosion over the last 20 years of interventions and things like sort of yoga or mindfulness or lots of other kind of interesting kind of well-being interventions. And actually, when you look at the overall impact of them, they're actually pretty small because what really matters is feeling that your organization has your back. Uh, and that you've got someone that you can share your concerns, niggles, or just uh, irritational complaints to, and that they'll listen. So as well as making sure that managers you know, can have these psychologically savvy chats, another really important protective mechanism within organisations is to have what is often known as a peer support programme. And that basically takes account of the fact that even with the best manager in the world, sometimes we're not going to open up to them. They write my report They're going to give me jobs and I don't want them to think bad of me, even though they're a very decent person. But actually, most of us will speak to colleagues. And so if you can implement a good evidence-based peer support program, of which there are a number around, then actually, again, you begin to build on those social bonds that keep us psychologically well. And that's really useful, not just in terms of mental health, but also in terms of productivity.
0: Well, that's a great idea. Rachel, just talk a bit more about how organisations can support those uh, line managers who are having to do some of this kind of stuff. And they've perhaps never done it before.
2: Well, yes, because now they're going to be doing it uh, in a very challenging situation. So all those organisations like Microsoft that have invested already in their training and support and advice and guidance for line managers in terms of how they manage people and support their health and wellbeing will really be reaping the benefits But obviously, there's an opportunity now, we might be in a crisis situation, but it's still possible for HR teams and employers to extend that support. And I think as well as providing guidance and support up front, I think it's really important as well that HR is there to provide more focused and tailored support to help line managers deal with some of the complex personal situations that some people will be in because we know that some people will be experiencing mental ill health possibly for the first time and feel very very challenged in this situation. Obviously if somebody is known to have a mental health condition before the pandemic then special care needs to be taken there but I think it's really HR being available to line managers on an ongoing basis to provide that sounding board that and occupational health as well, of course. So, please do make use of your occupational health teams where you have the benefit of that expertise. So, make uh, the most of that as well as your employee assistance programme. But it really is not just a one-off intervention. It's just being there and being supportive of your line managers day in, day out, really.
0: So, Andrea Winfield from Microsoft uh, we've heard talk there about occupational health we do still in our minds we think about that as something you do with people when they're in the office so this is quite a different mindset isn't it and uh, managers aren't equipped to deal with a lot of this
1: well you know managers aren't trained health professionals and and nor should we expect them to be and i think you know employers having access to these specialist services whether or not it's occupational health facilities or through your healthcare premiums and insurances, access to specific referral pathways that get people access to counselling and uh, cognitive behavioural therapy. These are all great resources, but they do need to be done by specialists. And I think it's quite important to make that distinction. There's a lot on your average manager's shoulders day to day and managing the health and well-being of your team is clearly one of them. But in these times, I, you know, I do worry about the, the pressure that we put on managers to try and be everything to everybody. Same with the HR team, actually. And so having some of these specialist supports and having those support services working virtually so that irrespective of whether or not you're in a physical office or working, at, you know, in customer site or wherever you might be in the world, being able to access some of these support services, you know, that complement what's already available in society is critically important.
3: So in in terms of, again, going back to the evidence, really important study, I think, that came out of uh, New South Wales and Australia. So they looked at fire station managers, and these are people who look after firefighters who are obviously going out doing challenging stuff all the time. And what they did is they put in place a four-hour training package that enabled the fire station managers to be able to have one of these psychologically savvy conversations. And it didn't just give them information, it also um, gave them the skills and got them to practice it during the session. They did what's called a randomized control trial, which is a really high quality trial. And the outcome that they were looking for is how much did it decrease sickness absence in the six months after the intervention? And what they found overall, it was published in a UK journal, was that for every pound invested in that uh, manager training program, it saved 10 pounds in sickness absence over the following six months. And that's because we know that I quite agree with Andrea, you shouldn't be asking managers to be mental health professionals, that's wrong and it would stress them out if they had to do so. But actually the simple interventions and the act of listening and understanding what your staff members are going through can have an immense benefit for an organisation. And not only will it help people stay fit at work, it also increases the chance that they will go and seek professional help if they need it.
1: I agree entirely with you, Neil, on that point. One of the things that we've been doing and investing in over the last 12 months is encouraging managers and and setting out expectations for them to just model, coach and care. Um, Three very simple expectations that we have of managers at Microsoft. And in the context of what's going on right now, you know, like modelling might look uh, around them, you know, asking managers to take care of themselves first. It's a bit like putting the oxygen mask on yourself so that you're able to support others. And what healthy routines have you got in place to help role model your your own mental and physical well-being the coaching is the conversation that you have and remembering that we're all human at the end of the day and it's one human talking to another another human and and inquiring what's really on people's minds and and care is just making sure that we're we're checking in with one another and giving people that time and creating space for community to happen whether or not that's peer-to-peer mentoring or or whether or not through employee resource groups, or just, just making a call. These are the things that we're asking managers to do right now.
0: And Neil, this situation we're in at the moment, are there parallels with the stressful situations you've helped uh, service people with?
3: So absolutely. If you look at you know what the language is of the government at the moment, it's very much you know, battling the virus and people at the front line. So I don't think that what we know about military life is exactly the same as what's going on with in healthcare or, or in society as a whole although the words blitz spirit has been used from time to time to describe our population. But there is an awful lot that we can learn from the way that militaries look after people. And one of the things I think that we need to, as a country, start to begin to talk about is when we do get back to whatever the new normal is, and I accept it won't be very normal, is actually the people who have been working incredibly hard are also going to need some time to reintegrate back into whatever the next sort of workplace is. And in an occupational health sense, you know, we call that a graded return to work. In a military sense, we know that when we send people on deployments for many months at a time and ask them to do you know, incredibly difficult things, we don't just bring them home on a Tuesday and ask them to come back to work on a Thursday. You know, we take a staged, progressive approach over a period of a few weeks to allow them to come back into work once they've psychologically and physically reset. And I think we need to think about how we do that whenever lockdown begins to recede. Otherwise, we risk breaking people who have already been you know, working as hard as they can.
0: So, Rachel, we've no idea what this new normal people start to talk about is going to be like. We don't even know really when it's going to happen. And at the time of writing, we're still fully locked down. Let's just talk about the furlough because we've got this situation where within organisations, we have maybe a high proportion of people who are not working, they're getting 80% of their salary, courtesy of the government. I mean, for now, presumably, good managers will keep those people in the loop. What can you say about how you start integrating again when more people return to the full-time workforce?
2: Well, yes, it is important, even though we don't know the exact concrete measures that the government will introduce to start easing the lockdown, we do know that there are certain measures and areas that employers need to start thinking about and preparing their workforce for now. And furlough is one situation, bringing back furloughed employees, but it's clear that there'll be a number of different scenarios in terms of the workforce that employers will need to take into account. Hopefully, most employers will have been keeping in touch with any furloughed employees because they still have a duty of care for their health and well-being so hopefully they will have been communicating to bring them back some employers will be making difficult decisions possibly about redundancy so we know that whatever the situation and the steps to any easing health and safety and keeping people safe and reassuring them that the organisation has got their health and safety at heart is going to be really crucial and then we know that keeping the infection under control is still going to be very very important so that has to be the starting point for every employer
0: so andrew winfield you've been thinking about this i'm sure at microsoft and it starts with the simplest thing like uh, Would you let your employees in a city get on the tube or a metro railway?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have to say I'm really quite intimidated uh, and I'm sure every HR leader is feeling the same way about making decisions about when to bring people back to work and how to do so safely. We're still working through our approach right now, but based on what I've read and have learned, I think there are a few things that I think we're all as HR leaders were all considering you know one is clearly the re- return to work is going to have to be phased I doubt that many employees can bring people all back at once we're going to have to involve employees in making that choice too so some people may not want to return or may not feel for whatever reason that it's safe to do so and I think an element of choice in this is is going to be important there's the matter of making sure that we have enough health and safety supplies and Protective equipment for key workers is, is tough enough without employers also adding to the burden of the demand for those types of resources. Topics around self-certification, around health, screening, the privacy related to that is, is all something as health professionals and HR professionals that we're working through. Not to mention things like social distancing at work. It's not the matter of going back to the office that we had prior to this. Even the subject of... Um, Social distancing in toilets was something I never imagined I'd have a conversation on. But what's safe to do in an office, let alone travel and other very obvious things. So it's clear that whatever we're going back to and whenever we're going back to it is going to be markedly different than the the organisation and, and premises that we left.
0: I have to say, working through all this, Neil Greenberg, sounds to me as difficult, if not more difficult, than the job managers have at the moment.
3: Yeah, I, cer- I certainly think it's a challenge, you know, for managers, as it is a challenge for everyone else, you know, in society generally. I think as long as the uh, a workforce feels that their management have, have got their back and that have put their interests at heart. And so they're not just looking to try and recoup the profits that they haven't made over the last few months. I think and that will help. We are in this all together, whether we like it or not. And actually, as long as people at work kind of feel that, I, I think they'll hopefully you know forgive managers for not making the right decision every time because it's not always clear what the right decision is. I think one point that is, that is important to note is there's been a mention about the use of, of screening. Now, that term is used in lots of different ways, but it's really important to recognise that actually trying to do psychological health screening within organisations um, has been shown not to be helpful that doesn't necessarily cause harm, but we've shown through, again, good randomised control, high quality trials, that actually when you try and get an organisation to ask its employees to fill out questionnaires or to see healthcare professionals in order to try and identify if they've got a problem or not, it doesn't work. People feel suspicious, they don't tell the truth, and also it doesn't properly measure the symptoms that you need to. So I think there's a huge role for organisations providing supportive environments and access to appropriate services but psychological health screening within an organizational setting it should not be something that people should be investing time and effort into because the evidence really doesn't support it's helpful.
0: Uh, the other aspect of this, Rachel Suff, is that maybe people have seen just some benefits about how they've had to work. Uh, obviously, more home working is an obvious one, no commuting. We've seen all this community cooperation. And in a way, you can kind of project some kind of positive onto the future and think, well, we've we've learned a different way of living. Yet, as we've already heard, the reality is companies will be struggling to survive. They're not going to want to change how they work. But many uh, employees might think that uh, that they ought to.
2: I mean, that's a really good point. And I think if organisations and individuals as well can squeeze any kind of positive future out of this situation, this crisis, then that's all to the good. Because I think a lot of people have been thrown into working from home full time, for example, and that might have changed their expectations about what they want from work. Likewise, I think many employers and managers will hopefully realise that they can manage a remote workforce. And there's been a big learning curve for many of those, I'm sure. But I think what this all spells is that when we do have a phase, stage, gradual return to work, we will find that people's expectations will have changed quite a lot because as Andrea said, This isn't the same workplace that people will be returning to. So I think there needs to be a lot of readjustment and allowances for people. People's own situations might have changed quite a lot. So there needs to be a lot of sensitivity and support for people as they orientate back into the workplace a very different workplace, as Andrea said.
0: Okay, Rachel Self, that's an excellent final thought from you. Let me just ask uh, Neil and Andrea to just add uh, literally a couple of comments before we finish.
3: I think the only last thing I think is worth saying is that actually many of us actually might have found uh, that actually being out of the workplace, away from difficult workplace relationships with managers or with colleagues, actually, although it's been pressurised, it's actually a bit of a relief And so, I think we do have to think that as we go back into whatever sort of workplace it is, those already strained relationships may be strained further. So, I think organizations just need to sort of remind themselves of what things were like beforehand uh, to make sure that they take account of that going forward as well.
1: I think togetherness is something that's just really important. I don't think employers can do this on their own, neither do I think managers can do this on their own. And I think You know, managers and employees and teams and individuals, we all need to come together and figure out how to make this next stage and how to keep talking and how that dialogue must continue as we go forward. I think there's a lot of goodness that can actually come out of this terrible and tragic scenario. I think we've smashed so many ceilings about flexible working and mobile and virtual working. Um, Especially in regulated industries where it felt impossible. And I think we're seeing 10 years of digital transformation and workplace transformation happening over 10 weeks. And there's a lot of opportunity that can be capitalised that will benefit employers and employees alike.
0: Well, thanks very much indeed for that. And to all of you, Andrea Winfield from Microsoft, Professor Neil Greenberg at the March on Stress Consultancy and the CIPD's own Rachel Suff. Uh, On this topic, uh, just time for a couple of your comments that we got after last month's uh, COVID podcast. Svetlana at RSI London clearly has no hang-ups about sharing moments with work colleagues to kick off meetings. She says uh, yesterday it was photos from their childhood, and next, apparently, they're doing team yoga. I don't know whether Andrea, Neil and Rachel are up for a bit of yoga now, but as Giles from the Hitchhiker's Guide to HR told us, this is an opportunity for HR to do things to make the future right. Well, it's a big responsibility. Until next time, from me, Nigel Cassidy, and all of us at the CIPD, goodbye and keep safe.